Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. And let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host. Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am delighted to have as my guest today, S.P. Brown. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, S.P. or Chanel, you're a bit of a renaissance woman. You are an employment and discrimination attorney. You live on Long Island with your husband and three children. You're an educational consultant. You're an author. And you're a singer. Uh, I, I sing. I wouldn't say I'm a singer, but yes, it's, it is one of the many things that I have done. But one thing that I really want to get into in this this half hour that we have together is... Your books, you've written two books, one for young adults and one for children. I think one will be a series. It looks like it's heading in that direction. The first is called Gifts in Brown Paper Packages. And the second for the younger kids is called Kyrie School Blues. Now, there's another part of your Renaissance woman persona that I want to get into, and that is that you are chair of the Safe Center of Long Island, which advocates, fights for survivors victims of domestic abuse. That's right. So all of these parts of you kind of weave into a whole. But I want to get into, first of all, your journey to become an author. First, you know, this, you've had two books, but this is a relatively recent yeah. evolution of your life. That's a good word. Yes. <laughs> so what is it about, and this is a huge question for you, what is it about your background, about your life that led you to write these books? That's loaded. Yes. That's a, that is a very heavy question. So where do I start? I guess with a therapy session, mm. probably about 10 to 12 years ago. Can't put my finger exactly on the timing, but my therapist at the time said to me, you know, you come to session and you have a lot of great stuff to talk about. You know, my life as an employment discrimination attorney, working in corporate America, dealing with the glass ceiling as an African-American woman wife of a husband, three children, lots of stuff to lament about and whine sometimes and Mm -hmm. cry sometimes in therapy. But you're not talking about the things that you need to talk about. I think that you have been subjected to a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and that informs who you are. And I, I think that that's something we need to get into. And your sessions are your own. You can handle them the way you choose, but You've talked about writing and the fact that you like to write and that you do write creatively for yourself. 
if you don't want to talk about this in session, why don't you write? And that sort of started mm. that journey. That's a great suggestion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I went to a writing workshop with a friend of mine who you know very well, Dana Boylan. Oh, yeah. At Judge the time, Boylan Judge Boylan. That's right. At the time, she was, I believe, executive director of Nassau County Youth Services, or she may have been still with the DA's office. I don't remember. But I went with her to this writing workshop, one of the programs she was supporting. And the woman at the workshop said to this group of people, and it was a real motley crew, right? Mm -hmm. There were, you know, a couple of young women that African-American young women, some middle age, you know, suburban uh, white women. Mm -hmm. There were some older men. Some It was a motley crew. A writer's workshop a is always it a was motley crew. So like you could write a novel about the people in, in the, the workshop. In the writer's <laughs> workshop. And I actually thought I was just going to sit there and kind of observe. Yeah. But the woman, is. it was at, I believe, the Westbury Recreation Center. Mm -hmm. And the facilitator said, what was your light bulb moment? I would like you to take an opportunity mm. to share out what was the time when the course of your life changed and a light bulb sort of is that signifier, right? Talk about it. And I shared in that room quite in an impromptu, unplanned way the day that I, the night that I climbed out my window at 17. Mm and left my home. Where were you living? I was living in Harlem with, uh, with my family. And, you know, my childhood home was replete with a plethora of just stuff. And mm. what I've come to understand, you know, made up my adverse childhood experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my father had a number of challenges, including having been incarcerated mm -hmm. uh, for much of my early life mm. and came home with many of the the issues that many men come home with after incarceration, uh, substance abuse and, you know, lack of the ability to find work and such. And he was abusive. And, that was what I climbed out to flee. Wow. And I talked about that in that room that day. And had you ever spoken about it before? Not in public. Not in public. It's not something that as a attorney and in the circles, professional and social circles that I uh, frequented, wasn't something that I ever felt what I wanted to define me. Right. I mean, you could see those circles as a little judgmental, perhaps oh, yeah. a little elitist. Where did you go to school? Definitely. All of that sort of thing. Yeah. Those are usually the first questions. Yeah. Right. And where's your family from? Mm -hmm. uh, where do you summer? Do summer in the vineyard? <laughs> uh, you know, so that really wasn't my background. And, you know, I was able to very comfortably code switch, as many yes. of us talk about, in the, particularly in the Black community. But, you know, mm. this is something that crosses lots of cultural and, and ethnic and racial boundaries, right? Code switching is something that I think lots of people do. How do you define code switching? What does that mean? You know, it is the learned ability to adapt in your surrongings mm -hmm. based on who your audiences oh, are. yeah, I think we're all right? familiar with that. Right, to talk yeah. in a way that is appropriate for the listeners, which may be different from the way in which you speak when you're in your cultural home and in your in the spaces where you feel most safe. Right, right. right. So for me, you know, growing up with the parents that I did, you know, while my father had his past and his present at the time, and my mother was at the time, had been a, you know, had dropped out of high school, they were really committed to education. Hmm. And um, well, you it's interesting because you mentioned in your bio with your books that your father required you to read. Oh, yeah. And then write comprehensive essays. About it was the content. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I so mean, what kinds of stuff? I'm just so I curious. mean, did, did he, he I mean, read? it was when I think back, it's kind of laughable. I mean, I remember reading Frankenstein by Mary Shelley mm. when I was like nine. 
Yours, I mean, in so, some ways, so, that's incredibly so, lucky. So, frankly, no, but lucky, but also, like, that felt weird. that felt a part of the abuse. Like, I know, <laughs> I yeah. know now that he did, he, that was a gift, right? Yeah. I mean, he gave me through a real mandate, right, that was forced upon me, the ability to begin to comprehend advanced texts at an early age. This love of vocabulary is mm-hmm. something that I sort of cultivated from really, really young, probably because I was reading stuff that I had no idea. I couldn't really understand it. So I would sit with a dictionary yeah. and words fascinated me. So yeah. while I didn't enjoy Frankenstein, to be honest with you, I don't quite remember what I may have gotten out of it yeah. besides a list of really nice words. Mm. Yeah. So that was a part of my childhood. You know, my mom homeschooled me because we lived in a community in Harlem where she didn't, you know, really feel that the education wow. in the public school system was good enough. And she felt with her GED at the time that she could do better. And was it you and do you have siblings? So I have one brother. Yeah. You know, she homeschooled me until it was time for me to go to school third grade. Yeah. And I got skipped. Wow. to fourth grade. Wow. So that was the beginning of my sort of academic journey in school. My brother, she homeschooled for a bit, but by the time he, he's six years younger than me, by the time he came along, it was no longer as easy. And, you know, the authorities would come knocking on your door. It's not like she was doing it officially. Mm. It's not like she had any of the, whatever the protocol yeah, was to homeschool. She was just like not letting her kids go to school. Wow. And, you know, in her own rudimentary way, she was providing, you know, the skill sets, right? The reading and, you know, math skills that she felt, you know, Mm. were necessary. And she did a damn good job, at least in in the reading aspect. Now, I will say that I struggled a bit most of my life in math, (laughs) which is one of the reasons why I went to law school. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So So you you talk about adverse childhood experiences. And this is this is a sort of a term of art, ace, aces. Mm -hmm. And you also talked about how your dad's kind of strange (laughs) requirement for you to read these advanced texts was a gift. Yeah. And that ties together what's in your books and also what's in your educational consultancy of taking things that are strange or bad in your life, especially in your childhood, aces, Mm -hmm. and turning them into gifts. And this is a message that I feel, well, first of all, when you and I were speaking before, you pointed out that kids K through eight post-COVID have three times, there's three times the amount of suicidal ideation. Mm. I mean, we all know, and we've seen it in our own families, the bad result of COVID on our kids yeah. and the isolation yeah. and the media, social media and all this crap. So I think your message of turning early childhood trauma and using it, getting into it, and being able to work through it to eventually see it as a gift is so incredibly important and empowering at a time when people feel helpless. And I think social media and media and just the culture right now encourages that pessimism and that feeling yeah. of hopelessness, which is yeah. so unempowering, especially for kids yeah. of all ages. Yeah. So tell me about that about your philosophy because i this is something i really want to amplify and get out in the world okay well great so 
Yeah, it's something that I've become extremely passionate and committed to really in in this last two years. You know, Laura, I wrote this book, Gifts and Brown Paper Packages, the first book, really thinking, okay, I think this is good for high schoolers. Ultimately, I, you know, found another audience in that, you know, a friend of mine who's a PhD said this is really great for research to practice material for PhD programs and social work and master's degree programs and counseling and such. So I started going down that. And in that, I've started researching Mm -hmm. adverse childhood experiences because Mm -hmm. this book is about resilience. Gifts and Brown Paper Packages is about a young girl from Harlem that was able through a journey of self-awareness figure out her truth, how to own her truth, and also recognize that life is a myriad of roller coaster experiences, right? They get delivered on our doorsteps or in Kyrie's case, on her fire escape. Mm. And, you know, we take the ones that come beautifully adorned and we know their gifts, the beautiful marriages, the beautiful children, healthy babies, the great job opportunities. But what my premise is, is that The other things that happen, the challenges, the bad stuff, right, the strife, the abusive relationships, the, you know, the sicknesses that are unplanned and unexplained. And bad things. The tragic things that happen. In everybody's life at some point or another, these bad things happen. It's a part of life. It is. Um, It's a roller coaster. The difference between a survivor and a survivor that thrives is perspective. And that is what the gifts lens, which is how what I've coined this as, what that's what that really is about. Understanding what framework do I need to employ? What framework do you need to employ to each situation? And sometimes you can't do it as you're going through it, right? Because when you're going through the strife, mm-hmm. it's hard, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you have to wait till you get through it and then look back on it and dig through the ugly wrapping, right? The string, not the beautiful bow, the string, and figure out where's the gift, right? What did I learn from that situation? What's the strength? And that's the concept of finding your strength in strife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in doing this research, Laura, I quite by happenstance, and actually nothing is happenstance. I believe everyone is, everything's intentional. I was talking with a friend who's an educator about what I wanted to do in education. And she said, oh, you know, there's a woman, a doctor who's has like devoted her life to this. Have you ever heard of her? Her name is Nadine Burke-Harris, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris. And I said, no. She said, let me send you her, her TED Talk. I think she did a TED Talk. I heard it, but, you know. And I, in the last, you know, six months, have just sort of immersed myself in hmm. adverse childhood experiences. And what it is, in a quick, quick nutshell, you know, the CDC and a huge medical conglomerate, Kaiser Permanente, did a study in 1998 where they took 17,421 participants. And the correlation, and it started as a weight loss study. Hmm. They were helping these individuals figure out why their weight loss or how their weight loss was correlated, I guess, to various health outcomes hmm. or inability to lose weight or what have you. And they ultimately made this distinction between the bad things that happen to you between zero and 18, age Mm. zero and 18. And they coined those things adverse childhood experiences. They found that two thirds of the population experience adverse, have experienced at least two adverse childhood experiences. And it's really just a test, right? 10 questions that were initially developed in this study. And the questions are things like, you know, do you live in a home where, or did you live in a home as a child where a parent was suffering from any kind of mental illness, Mm -hmm. right? 
Have you lived in a, did you live in a household where a parent was addicted to any alcohol, you know, any type of drugs? Do you live Mm -hmm. in a household where you were hit, Mm -hmm. not abused, Mm -hmm. hit, Mm. right? And the questions, you know, went on. When I realized that I had an ACEs score of nine out of 10. Nine out of 10. And what Did that surprise you? Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. So no, it didn't surprise me, but the fact that there was science associated with the fact that that was my background and more importantly, individuals with ACEs scores of four or more are more likely to develop a number of healthcare issues Mm. as adults, cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes. So what this study found back in 1998 was that there was a correlation between what happens to you as a child, these bad things, and whether or not you develop one of these bad diseases as an adult. Wow. So that's the part that... And it all started with, why can't these people lose weight? Right. Fascinating. Right, right. Wow. Right. So I've essentially, Laura, taken, you know, again, I've really been committed to learning everything I can about ACEs. Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris is a pediatrician in California. She was the former Surgeon General of California. Governor Newsom appointed her a few years ago. Hmm. She's written a book called The Deepest Well that is fascinating. And it's, it really just hmm. really just ensconces you in the science around this. And there are a number of other medical professionals who have devoted their lives to the awareness of ACEs. But what I find is that while educators, at least the ones that I've talked to, have heard of it, it's not really being viewed as the public education crisis that it should be. Exactly. And that seems to be such a natural enhancement to teacher training because these teachers, like you have said, can be the buffer. That one teacher can be the one that makes a difference if they're well-versed in this and if they're able to see that child. You know, that child that may be acting rude or not paying attention or rolling their eyes or whatever it is. So how can it help teachers make the world a better place by improving these kids' lives? Well, you know, it starts with perspective, right? It starts with understanding that educating through the gifts lens, which is my five-step framework to finding your strength and strife, starts with an understanding of who's sitting in front of you, their story, right? It's also about understanding as an educator what trauma you're bringing. Well, I was just going to say because to the table. sometimes you're not able to be empathetic or get out of your own angry head if you're dealing with your That's own right. stuff. That's right. And frankly, you know, I, I have a, you know, one of my best friends from high school actually has been an educator for 30 years. And, you know, she said to me as we were kind of vetting my professional development offering, she said to me, you know, as a teacher, when I first started teaching, you're told to, you know, leave your stuff at home. And but it's necessary to be cognizant of your trauma and what you're bringing to the table. So what the gifts framework does is just give you a different lens to sort of put these, your teaching experiences through, right? It's G for grace, I for intention, F for forgiveness, T for trauma, right? Recognize the trauma, but let's focus on the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And S 
for story, right? And what I'm saying to educators through this training is if you put every experience that you're dealing with in your classrooms through this lens, you come out at a different place, mm -hmm. right? And it's hard. It's not easy stuff, right? We're not talking about, you know, sometimes we're talking about kids that just won't do their homework. Sometimes we're talking about maladaptive behavior that's much worse than, than, yes. than that, right? right? So I'm not saying that this is in any way easy. But one of the things that I know is that many educators, not all, but many educators look at that child who is not performing or not showing up to school or fighting or cursing them out or, you know, just acting in a way that is really disruptive to the educational process. They look at those children oftentimes as lost causes, mm -hmm. right? They just, you know, this is just how they are, right? Mm -hmm. They're never going to do any better. Do? And I what can I do? I their family life. And what I seek to impart in educating through the gifts lens is a couple of very simple premises. One, your experiences don't dictate your outcome. They inform, mm -hmm. right? Someone so, with an so ACEs score. Have a, you have a horrible childhood abuse, drug abuse, you know, all the things, the horrible things you can think of, malnutrition, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's not going to predict what you will become. It doesn't have to. Yeah. It doesn't have to. You know, what we know about ACEs is that your outcomes are, you know, the bad outcomes are mitigated by what you do after you're aware of them, right? How you treat after you're aware. But it's that awareness aware. that can be very... So I am close... I have a close person in my life who had a horrible childhood. Mm. Just... I'm not even going to get into it all. But... And she is having a hard time even just thinking about it, talking about it. Like, mm -hmm. doesn't go near it. Mm. And that's a really tough nut to crack yeah. for a lot of people because there's a lot of pain there and it's really yeah. scary. I mean, that was me for a long time. That was me. You know, I will say I turned 50 last year. I've only been in this part of this journey for probably about 10 years. Wow. It's not a long time. Wow. Um, I spent the vast majority of my adult life denying and rejecting that these experiences were real. And mm. frankly, part of it was that many of the people in my life also did not acknowledge them, right? So, and I'm talking about my family members. So mm. that's a hard situation mm -hmm. to live with. But the reality is many people, that is, that's the coping mechanism, right? Pushing down, right? It that's was right, through, I gotta it was, get yeah, through this day. I got to get, get through this day. And this doesn't, and what I said to my therapist at the time, I never forget. I'm like, you want me to come, you want me to talk about this stuff? It just makes me feel bad. Exactly. I'm like, it I got to go back. I was going at lunchtime. I have to go back to work and yeah. like advise management on employment discrimination issues. But I'm thinking about my childhood trauma. That can't yeah. be helpful. Right. But it actually is, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the ownership mm -hmm. and acknowledgement of the experience that allows the healing. If you're not aware of them, if you don't own them, you really can't move forward to the next step. And it helps right? you become more genuinely you. That's right. And and when you're genuinely right. yourself, you're much more useful in the world. That's right. That's right. And frankly, you know, when if we, you know, take it back to the classroom, it is important for educators to understand that someone with an ACE score of nine statistically, I shouldn't be sitting with you right now, wow. right? And it really was actually having people read gifts and brown paper packages, professional colleagues of mine. And they would come to me and say, if even an eighth of this happened to you, the fact that you're sitting here doing what you do yeah. is just so overwhelmingly Not to mention positive. married to three kids. Right, so, so, so I recognize that 
for an edu- from an educational perspective, it's important for education educators to look at me and recognize that I am Kyrie, mm. and I'm also that student sitting in front of you, rolling their eyes and sucking their teeth and not, you know, I didn't even think I was going to graduate from high school. Mm. That was the worst four years of my life. Mm. I graduated on time, which was a year early for me since I had been skipped. But that was because at some point I just said, you know what? I got to be able to get out. The Where only way I can school? get out. I went to Brooklyn Tech. Oh. Yes, Brooklyn Tech. Oh. And, you know, I didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a science and math high school yeah. and science and math yeah. were not my strong suits, but I got in and my mother was like, that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. You got in. So I was traveling from Harlem to Brooklyn. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, ACES is about understanding awareness and then doing the things that you need to do to mitigate, right? From, you know, Kyrie's perspective, and, you know, I I start to deal with this in the children's book series, you know, she learns the sort of gifts and brown paper packages perspective Mm -hmm. in this book Mm -hmm. within an endearing conversation between her and her mom where she's bullied, right? And this was the first adversity, right, that she had to deal with outside of her house. She thought that going to school was going to give her the opportunity to make friends. And she gets bullied because she shows up in the space speaking like a smarty pants, Mm -hmm. right? And her mom says to her, well, maybe we need to look at this as, you know, maybe there's something good that's in this, you know, you'll find your friends. That those girls are not your friends, but you're going to find your people. But maybe there's, let's look at this and figure out what's good in this. What what value can we get out of this? So Kyrie School Blues is the first introduction to that sort of finding your strength and strife concept and the curation and collection of words. This book is about the power of reading, the power of articulation, and really Kyrie's journey, which was mind mm-hmm. of, you know, collecting words as a coping mechanism and writing them down and looking them up and then peppering my conversation and my thoughts with these words, because it made me feel like a smarty pants. Right? So it, <laughs> words, literature, obviously a very important thread in your whole life. And are do you have any concerns that with, you know, kids aren't reading as much? None of this Mm -hmm. matters as much. Literature is kind of fading away. Mm -hmm. Are you concerned? And also your your breakthrough really to really start to grapple with this stuff came with writing yourself. Yeah. So are you concerned with, you know, more technology, less emphasis on reading fiction and in, you know, even in the uh, core curriculum, that that's going to have an effect on how people think? Because I, like you, was an avid reader. I escaped into books as a kid and as an adolescent. And I just, I mean, I just have memories of spending hours on the couch with whatever I could pick out of my, my parents' bookshelves. And that I think really helped me in a lot of ways deal with, you know, family stuff, Mm -hmm. whatever was going on in my life and was a real escape for me. But also while you're reading, you're also just sponging in, you're learning so much about literature, about thinking, about history, about the world. Does that concern you? Because I ha- that is one of my concerns. So it's, you know, having having raised three children, I'm still, you know, and that raising never ends. I, no one told me that. <laughs> Actually, you know, I wish I would have gotten a heads up that once mm-hmm. they're adults, the parenting doesn't stop. Yeah. But I have a daughter turning 25 this year. I have a freshman in college who is a Spelman College in, in Atlanta, and I have a 15-year-old. And I see a stark difference in the way in which the two older children sort of take in 
content, literary mm-hmm. content versus media content. Me too, because my um, our, our kids kind of track a little bit in age. Yeah. Same, same, same thing. Now, some of that is personality, right, and interest. My son is just not a reader, but I feel like he he was right. Mm-hmm. My daughters did not have televisions in their rooms. Yeah, that was something that was really um, I committed to because, frankly, I never wanted media to be the center point of our experiences at home. So they read and they grew up avid readers. My son grew up more in the, you know, he he came home with a Chromebook very, very early in his academic path. So when you are putting a device in front of the child, in the academic setting no and TV saying doesn't matter anymore. no TV doesn't matter. They're yeah. getting their content in the classrooms when they're supposed to be paying attention. They're on, you know, various social media sites. So the answer to your question is yes. It concerns me a lot. I think that, you know, the push, a push towards storytelling is important to sort of get back into the I into think it's the in classroom. Our DNA. You know, I was talking to the children's ed- book editor that edited my this this book the other day, and she has a background in she got her master's in folklore, mm-hmm. and she shared with me this concept of it's a Hawaiian concept called talk story, mm. and I'm starting to do some research in in that because part of my author visit offerings is that I incorporate a writing workshop. What is your strength? What is your story? That's the end of my author visit, a uh, workshop, and. Um, this concept of talk story is interesting because it really starts to reintroduce the um, the, uh, the 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 thought that maybe it's not necessary to write. Let's just talk first, right? Let's talk experiences. Let's talk story. There's many different ways to tell um, a story. There's very, film. Very there's talking. Many different there's ways. writing. So I can't believe S. P. Brown that our half hour is up. Oh no! It's that always, was so I always fast. feel like the therapist. Our time is up, <laughs> but. I encourage everyone to buy the books. The young adult book is Gifts in Brown. Paper it's actually packages. an adult. It's, uh, it's through, through adult. adulthood. Yes. Adulthood. Yes. Yeah, the young adults are still adults. So it's yes. for adults, for everybody. And Kyrie School Blues, which is the first book of the Gifts Journey yes. series. Yes. And the third to fifth grade readers. Third to fifth grade. Okay, got yes. it. S.P. Brown. And I just want to add that S.P. Brown and I both serve on the Safe Center board. Yes. You're the chair. Yes. And there is a 5K coming up on 5K, April 1st. 5K April 1st. And please go to the Safe Center website. Look at this organization, Domestic Violence Agency, supporting victims of interpersonal violence in Nassau County and in other areas as well, including something. And if you want to run or walk, you can get your workout out of the way and support the Safe Center. Yes. So we hope to see you there yes. on April 1st. Thank S.P., you. thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Again, if you like what you're hearing, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mm